Well, good morning. I'm so happy to see all of you here today. It's good. We've had some friends gone for a while, so welcome back. We're glad that you're back. Um, I'm going to start with a little story this morning. When I was a little girl, I, my family always, always, always went to church on Wednesday, Wednesday evenings. We had this little program at my church called Adventure Club. <gasps> ah. And it was full of songs and skits and Bible lessons for like a rowdy bunch of kids, church kids and unchurched kids alike. We were all there together. And my parents always led the music, led the kids' worship. That was always a part of this Wednesday night thing. They did this forever, like forever. (laughs) Wow, they did this for a really long time, every single Wednesday. As a result, my brothers and I were always there always there. (laughs) And um, so I have lots of memories from that experience of my life of Adventure Club. And um, one of them being singing lots of songs. I was remembering this week how songs were just a really natural part of my spiritual upbringing as a child. Like, we talk to God through song. (laughs) That's just what you do. Um, So once at Adventure Club, we were introduced to this new song, and it went a little bit like this. I know the king personally. I know the king personally. I'm a prince. I'm a princess. We're royal family. Ah, we know him personally. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Oh, gosh. We sang that. We sang that one a lot after we first learned it. And all the boys would stand up during the, like, I'm a prince. And we'd kind of, like, shout it, you know. My dad gets a little, like, rowdy sometimes when he's leading worship, and so he's, like, dancing around. And so the boys are, like, singing, I'm a prince, and then all the girls stand up, and we're like, I'm a princess. And, and then together we'd all sing, we're royal family. Ah. You know? Um, so fun. <laughs> so fun. So I have this, like, pretty vivid memory of this as a little girl. Um, and I don't know if I would have articulated this quite like this back then as a little, you know, eight, nine, ten-year-old. Um, but I remember singing that song and feeling, I remember the feeling of being so proud to know King Jesus. Like, I felt proud when we sang that song. felt proud. Because I think now I can look back and notice and name I was learning to identify myself as being a part of God's family at that point in my little little life. For little Laura, God was fitting me in to his household of faith that we talked about last week. Um, And when I think back on that time, I imagine also the spirit of God at work. And all those little people gathered there singing songs, as we proclaimed this song with gusto, you know, and a little competition maybe, you know, between the princes and princesses. Um, But I think the Spirit of God was opening our hearts to understanding that we were a part of something good. We were a part of something that was noble. We weren't always the most dignified little princes and princesses, as like our little Wednesday night teachers probably could attest to you. But we were learning that we were indeed a part of something special, something that was bigger than ourselves and something that was full of hope. Something that was really full of hope. 
Now, the Apostle Paul actually talks about this idea of being a part of God's family in the first chapter of Ephesians, which we <laughs> skipped over in, this, in our series during the season of Epiphany on Ephesians. We skipped over chapter one, but I'm going to bring us back to it here because Paul talks about this, what it means to be a part of God's family. And I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases it in the message, um, in his message, Paraphrase of the Bible. So he says it like this. Long ago, long before God laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, God decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure God must have took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. Long ago, God had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love. And as such, we became adopted into God's family through Jesus Christ. As we've learned these past couple weeks of Epiphany, this adoption into God's family initiated by God for the church in Ephesus, this included both Jews and Gentiles. This was a big revelation. This was a big revelation. What? The Gentiles are included in? Yes. We all are part of the family now. <laughs> this was a big deal, and it was a big obstacle caused some tension there in that church in Ephesus in the first century. But indeed, this adoption into God's family was for all those who heard and believed the witness of the apostles about Jesus. And it was for all of those who put their faith in Jesus. And in the letter of Ephesians, Paul communicates this new reality, this new hopeful reality for those who are in Christ. We talked about this last week. This new hopeful reality for those who are in Christ is that we belong to one another and that we belong to God. Now, just as Paul identified God as the source of the church's identity, he's the one who has adopted us in to be part of his family. So here in our scripture passage for today in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, Paul expresses how the unity of the church then also reflects the oneness of God. So we have been, we find our identity in God. He's our, the source of the church's identity. And it's also then as we are united together in God that we reflect who God is, the oneness of who God is. So I'm going to read our passage here again this morning so we can remember. Sometimes it goes by so fast. You're still trying to like regroup. Sometimes I am. Like actually come present <laughs> here on Sunday morning. So I'm going to read it again. For us, and um, so this is Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, 
just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's so beautiful. Yes? Paul urges the church, live a life together that is worthy of the calling that you have received. And we remember here that Paul is speaking to the church, so even though it sounds like you personally, he's talking about you all, the church. You all live a life worthy of this calling that you have received. And what is that calling? Well, the calling is and was God's invitation to us to share in his kingdom and glory. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, 1 Peter 5.10, 1 Timothy 6.12, they all say, this is the calling. (laughs) This is the calling that is ours in God, to share in his kingdom and glory, or some variation of that same kind of theme. By means of Jesus Christ. Literally calling in this verse in Ephesians 4 verse 1, Calling means to invite one to something, that is, to participate in it, to enjoy it. We have received an invitation, a call from God to be his people. To share in God's life, both now, here in the present, and forever. We've been invited to participate in God's story and God's work in the world. Something that's like that we're a part of, and yet it's so much bigger than ourselves. And we learn here that all has been given to us. We're not, we don't have to earn or attain these gifts of God. They are all freely given to us. They have all been graciously given. So Paul says, live a life worthy of this calling, this invitation that you've received. Earlier this week, um, Jan paraphrased Paul like this. I, sne- I sneakily wrote it down when she said it. <laughs> this is Jan paraphrased Paul. Live into what you've been entrusted with. It's so much more than you think. That's good. That's really good. <laughs> Live into what you've been entrusted with. It's so much more than you think. And how do we do that? Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Oh boy, so much happening there in that little sentence. (laughs) So let's unpack that a little bit, shall we? So easy to skim by those. Oh yes, that's lovely, moving on. (laughs) Oh, but so we're going to unpack this. And to ground us in this conversation, I want you to think about as I'm kind of talking here, and as the Spirit, Holy Spirit is talking to you as I'm talking, I want you to think about your own family. So either immediate family or extended family. It may be those that you live with. It may not be those that live in your household. That um, I want you to keep them in mind and yourself with them in mind. <laughs> They're going to be our little guinea pigs here this morning during the sermon. Um, as we imagine these instructions of Paul applied to our families. 
So sometimes we can imagine ourselves being super kind to strangers, you know? Oh, that brother and sister in Christ over there, I'm super gentle, <laughs> you know? Like, oh, so gentle. Um, but it gets a little more gritty, and the real stuff begins to happen when we imagine ourselves with our family members, where it's often hard and messy, and we're in the context of, like, long-haul relationship. Like, I guess you're forever going to be my brother, so we have to somehow figure this out. <laughs> somehow. By the grace of God. So, let's wonder about this. What does the practice of humbleness, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, look like in my family? That's kind of the question today. So, we're going to begin with humility. What does the practice of humility look like in my family? How do we practice being humble with one another? I'm going to offer some ideas. You also can come up with some of your own as you meditate on Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 in the coming week. How's that for a good, a good little pastoral nudge? So humility, I think, might look like a willingness to admit when we're wrong and ask for forgiveness. I find that this can happen. You have lots of opportunities for this day-to-day in family life. goes back to that thing my mom taught me a long time ago. I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? It's good. Good just to memorize that, take that into your heart. And then we practice with humility, <laughs> saying that to one another in our families. And we teach our kids how to say that, too, to one another. And we model it for them by saying it to them sometimes when we make mistakes. And we show them what that looks like to move in, to practice humility with one another. I think sometimes it looks like being open to receive God's wisdom from one another, both invitation and challenge, through one another in our conversations. How open am I to input from my family members? Like, maybe my way is not the only way to do something. Maybe somebody in my family... I can receive from them some feedback, whether it it comes in the form of an invitation or perhaps a little challenge. Mm -hmm. Takes humility to receive that. I think also that obedience trains us in humility. Doing the chores, um, doing distasteful things for one another, you know, the things we'd really rather not do, but we choose to do them out of a humble heart in order to serve one another. Sometimes this is like, you know, for moms and babies, I imagine, it's like diaper, 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 diaper. You like keep, I will do this distasteful thing for you because you need it and I love you. And, but it's rather distasteful. <laughs> but you like learn some kind of obedience in that, don't you? I think, I've never done it yet. I haven't done that, but I think... That obedience trains us in humility, helps us practice humility as we serve one another in really practical ways. Washing the dishes again. I'm going to obey, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it sometimes with a grumbling heart, but sometimes with a humble heart. Willing to do what needs to be done. I think in this obedience, we learn to humbly submit to one another, children to parents, Spouses to spouse, 
sister to sister, son to mother, father to daughter. So what does the practice of humility look like in my family? How about gentleness? What does the practice of gentleness look like in my family? What does it sound like when we speak to one another? This is lots of times gentleness has, can come out of the mouth. <laughs> lots of times it doesn't. But it's a place where we can practice being gentle with one another. And for example, I had a difficult week this week because there was lots of like thick jungling things in the air. I'm off to Chicago this next week, going to take a class with the Covenant, and so I'm trying to write a sermon, I'm trying to pack, I'm trying to like do all my reading for A++++ because my like perfectionism kicked in. I'm like, oh, I must read it all, or I have failed. So I began to have some like pretty critical self-talk inside of my head, and I was expressing this to Jacob last night, and um, I was like, oh... You know, in the honest moment, it's like, do you think God's going to be disappointed with me if it, like, if some of these things are just mediocre? <laughs> Ugh. That's a real question. And this is what Jacob said back to me. He said, I wonder if it makes God sad when you're so hard on yourself. That's gentleness. <laughs> Thanks for being so gentle. I wonder if God is disappointed. I wonder if God is sad. That you're being so hard on yourself. We can practice gentleness with our words. Helping to reflect back. Like, oh, that sounds a little. That sounds a little harsh. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. So what does the practice of gentleness look like in your family? How about patience? What does the practice of patience look like in my family? I think often patience um, might look like slowing down for one another. Slowing down long enough to listen, that's patience. That's a practice. Takes some practice of patience. Slowing down long enough to listen. Slowing down long enough to set aside distractions, to fully focus on the person in your family in order to listen. You know? I find increasingly that in my life as an adult with a smartphone, um, I'm like increasingly distracted and I'm trying to figure out how to be more conscious about like removing from my sight that which is distracting, <laughs> you know? And we have to like move it away and, some, and then slow it down. We have to be patient with ourselves in this process of learning this, but also take some patience in slowing down and helping people in our family to slow down too and to model what that looks like um, in our families. Like, nope, I'm gonna slow down. Let's, let, okay, let me like look you in the eye. 
let's take a moment and just sit down on the couch. It sounds like we gotta like take a moment here. Let's just slow down to listen to one another. I wonder if patience also can be practiced um, by slowing down long enough to take time to learn or teach something new. Like to practice patience by deliberately saying, like, let's, let's slow down and let's learn this new thing together. You know, we don't have to like rush through it, but to be, to like take an intentional time. Like I'm going to teach you how, Jacob, like I'm going to teach you how to make the stir fry. So we're going to take this time. We're going to slow down because my vegetables always get soggy. <laughs> you know, ah, turn up the heat. <laughs> But maybe we need a patience practice, just learning that. Or, you know, like, baking with your kids. We're going to bake something, but it's not so much about actually, like, having the cookies and getting them done ASAP. It's like, let's slow down. Let's learn about this together. And I think even small things like that, like, they build this practice of patience, and they then translate into other places of our lives where we then have some we have that like built into us more, like built more built-in humility. Or maybe it's more like capacity, more capacity for humility, for submitting ourselves, more capacity to be gentle in our words and in our touch, more capacity to slow down with one another and be patient. And there's one more here. Um, there's bearing with one another in love. What does the practice of bearing with one another in love look like in my family? I think it might look like choosing to remain present to one another um, in our families when we're at our worst. I'm imagining like the tantrum stage, the meltdown stage. And you know, it can look one way for children, it can look another way for teenagers, it can look another way for adults. But we've all got them. We all throw our little tantrums. We all have our moments of meltdown. How, do we, how are we going to practice bearing with one another when we are losing it? When we're just losing it? I think it first looks like diligent prayer. Like, we practice bearing with one another, holding, supporting one another when we're kind of, like, at the end of it in prayer. We're like, we have to bring one another to Christ. Because we're not going to be able to, like, calm everybody down. That's not our job. But we can bring them to the Lord and say, God, come with your peace. We can, like, take some deep breaths. Just bear with one another by staying present to one another. Not having to fix them or, you know, set them straight necessarily. But to remain present and to not run away or turn away or fight back. You're melting down. Watch me melt down. <laughs> you know, that's not bearing with. So I think sometimes even bearing with one another in love is that family meal um, at the table day after day. You just like continue to show up. You continue to make the, make the food, <laughs> even when that is a practice of patience and humility. 
in and of itself, but continue to be present with one another. You know, I think we realize and can know how difficult it can be to be humble and gentle and patient, <coughs> how difficult it can be to bear with one another. Um, there are times when we're going to come to the end of ourselves in that process of being patient, where we just don't have it. We don't have the capacity anymore for patience. We don't have any more capacity for gentleness. We don't have any more capacity to bear with in love. And that is where Paul calls us to remember who we are in Jesus Christ, who we can rely on. The Spirit of God, he says, is the bearer of this good fruit, that even this work of patience and these practices of humility and gentleness and bearing with, like these are not things that we just have to keep trying harder at. But in them, we rely on the Spirit of God who then fills us and it is out of the Spirit's work in our lives that we bear these good fruits, the fruits of love and of joy and of peace and patience and gentleness. Throws in a few bonuses. I'll even give you self-control. <laughs> Little goodness. I've got that too. <laughs> So I realize the kids are waiting outside the door, and I'm like a little over time here. But I just want to say that I am grateful to be on this same road with all of you as part of God's family, that together we share in this noble family of God, and that we don't do this work alone. That silly little song that I learned as a child somehow still rings true. We're royal family. Ah, we know him personally. We know the one whom we can turn to, the one who has all of the patience, the one who has all of the gentleness, the one who has all of the bearing with in love, the one who comes with all humility to become human like us, to live and to die and to be raised again that we might share in his life. This is God's living word to us today. Thanks be to God. Amen.